people raise your hand and God's be glad to give you one. You can take your Bibles and turn to Malachi chapter 2. Malachi chapter 2. Interesting how um, God reminds you on a regular basis that uh, he's still there. We know that he is, and obviously uh, we believe that. Our faith is in the God who is there, the God who is real. And Thursday night, we had our, our Hallow Hymn Carnival here, and I really appreciate BG and Donna and all the people that helped them and uh, just uh, really had a great time. Turned out great, even though we had to move the whole thing inside, and I was a little worried about that. Turned out uh, well. So Mary and I go home about 9 o'clock, and our yard has been visited by some unnamed folks. And they did an exceptional job at whatever they had planned to do. So we had toilet paper and shaving cream and plastic forks and um, wind was blowing 30 miles an hour, and some of that stuff was like a block away, and I'm thinking, my neighbors are not going to appreciate me. Apparently, my yard being the only one that was rolled in the neighborhood, so, and rolled significantly well. So, my wife and I, who've been married 40 years, and you've heard me joke about, uh, uh, she doesn't do outside, that's why she still looks 16, and, you know, it ain't right, but that's a different issue. So, We've been married 40 years, and, and that wind was blowing significantly Thursday night, as you know, 25, 30 miles an hour. And that stuff was everywhere, down the street, uh, just blowing everywhere. And she said, we've got to get this up tonight. And I said, wait, you got a frog in your pocket. <laughs> and she said, maybe you didn't hear me. we got to get this up. So she, uh, again, we joke about yard work. She's, there was a bush that she wanted trimmed, and she didn't like the way I was trimming it. And she said, I'll just do it myself. And I said, boy, I'd like to see that because the next bush you trim will be the first one. She didn't appreciate that. But so I trimmed the bush the way it should have been done in the first place, the way she wanted it. So anyway, we, we decide to, Thursday night she does her first yard work ever as we clean up toilet paper and plastic forks. And, and uh, so the next day we, we got what we could. And the next day we've been blessed this weekend with all four of our grandchildren have spent the weekend with us. And they're all under the age of nine. So the weather was so great. Friday, was it Friday afternoon I got them out there? Friday afternoon I get them all out there and I said, I got this really fun game we're going to play. <laughs> it's called picking up the toilet paper and the plastic forks. And when you see the shaving cream, you take your foot and you do like this. And then all, and we'll, put, we'll do the hokey pokey. And then the shaving cream disappears. So. I get them out there, I mean, we're having, a, and it got so good, I got, there's like four boys in the neighborhood camera, they thought it was cool. So, I Tom Sawyer to every kid in the neighborhood, I'm over here, all I'm doing is saying, oh, there's a piece of toilet paper, somebody ought to bend over and pick that up. Boy, they were just rushing to pick, and then, so the stuff in the top of the tree, I, I go get a ladder, and they said, let me go up the ladder, and I said, no, I better, I better let Grandy go up the ladder. So I'm going up the ladder with the broom, and I'm, you know, I'm just knocking it down in the winds. I said, oh, there goes another piece of toilet paper, and they're, they're chasing after it. And the whole time I'm cursing certain people 
who've done this to my yard, Russ Bingham will go unnamed. <laughs> we have his pink slip ready, Chad. Is that the... So I come down off the ladder. We've got it all. I'm getting ready to put up. And my neighbor from two doors down, three doors down, comes over. And a couple of his boys have been over there. Now, it shows you how God has a sense of humor. We've been neighbors five years. We've not met. Now, I've met a lot of my neighbors, but I haven't met him. And he comes over and we introduce ourselves. He goes, who did this to you? And I said, well, I'm the pastor of the church up there next door to Fred's. We're changing our name legally, by the way, to that. <laughs> it's no longer be Christ Church Arlington. It'll be the church next door to Fred's. So let's hope Fred's never moved. No, actually, we need to, never mind. So. So I said, no, I'm the pastor of the church next door to Fred's. And he goes, oh, that's interesting. I'm the new lay pastor of the Mormon church here in town. And I'd really like to sit down and talk with you. You don't think I'm going to enjoy that conversation? (laughs) And I thought, God, that's funny. (laughs) However, you could have done it another way. Last night, there was something wrong with the television, and Mary said, and and to fix it, I had to get down on the floor. That was a mistake. So I just said, I'm going to lay here the rest of the night. If y'all need me, I'll be right here. So what I really thought, and he was such an interesting guy, and and he uh, apparently they must rotate. It's a lay uh, uh, position, and he just, uh, they moved to Green, they lived here, moved to Green Bay, come back, and Apparently, he's the, the, he's the guy who's now in charge. He's the lay pastor, and uh, he said, I'd really like to talk to you about how you do things. And, and uh, so I thought, it, and I've just, it's really been a, pr- a prayer burden for me, and I'd ask you to pray for, because I really want to sit down and talk with him, and, but I don't want to ruin our neighbor relationship by telling him, you know what you believe is not the truth, dude. Uh, I want to do that in a loving, compassionate way, discuss beliefs of where are you coming from and what, what, what do you What's going on, and why do you believe believe this, and how do you put this into practice? And it's really going to be because I know a lot about doctrinally what Mormons believe and how it's in error with Scripture, but and I and I preach this a lot, and and I love the opportunity to live it out. We've been talking about with this particular series, you you preach the word, you live the word, and to look another a guy who my neighbor, really nice guy that I want to get to know well and be a good neighbor to, but at the same time, my number one concern for him and his, and his sweet family is what? That they know the real Jesus, the, the Jesus of the Word of God. So uh, that's why we exist, and that's why really, as I shared with you, the genesis of this system, in my, this uh, series in Malachi, God's message was for me as a leader, reading in a personal devotional, God was saying, you need to make sure you stand out. We talked about that in the last couple of weeks, this idea of honoring your vows, being a person of integrity. And we've dealt with, if you go look at your handout, number one, we dealt with the idea of being priests, both particularly and specifically in a leadership position, but also that every believer is a priest, that it's important to us under our covenant, our vow with God, that we listen to God, we live God's word, we teach God's word, and we turn people from sin. And what we dealt with last week was the fact their leaders weren't doing that, that their leaders were departing from the way, they were causing people to stumble, and they corrupted the covenant of Levi, 
Levi being the Levites, being the priests, the leaders, they had not kept God's ways, and they were showing partiality in the word. They were not literally, they were not being what leaders should be. So I want, as we transition today into number two, I want us to focus on as Christians honoring our vows in personal relationships, because this is the next thing that Malachi deals with. And remember, this, I want to keep coming back to this because this is, he says some very tough things in this book, but every bit of it flows from the, when we began this series about three weeks ago, the very first thing God wanted them to understand was, I love you. I have loved you. I am loving you. And I will continue to love you no matter what you do. Remember, the very first sermon we dealt with was, do you care? I've loved you, and I've shown you grace. I've shown you mercy. And in our lives, the application is God has saved us. He's redeemed us. He calls us. says, I'm going to send you out in the world to make my name real, make people know me, see me, be drawn to me, want to know the God that you know. That is our task. That's why the church is here, to exalt Jesus Christ, our bridegroom. And what God is saying to them, we're going to get into it a little bit this week and more next week, is that I've loved you in a very intimate, personal way, and you're committing adultery. And boy, it hurts me, God, to know that your response. So he says, the first thing is, do you care that I've done this for you? And then he moves in, we've been looking at the last couple of weeks, how it's so important that we honor our vows. As believer priests, as leaders in the church, as Christians, as we go out of the world, that we're men and women of integrity. We talked about honoring our vows as believer priests. Today we're going to look at honoring our vows in personal relationships. What he's going to deal with in verses 10 through 16 are the social ills that were plaguing the nation of Israel. The, the social ills of they were marrying pagans. Remember, they'd gone into the promised land. They'd been in Babylon, and now they're coming back, and they're surrounded by non-believers. Very reminiscent, very applicable to where we are in our culture today, that we are the church. But we literally live, even though we give credence to being a Christian culture and a Christian nation, literally what we live in now, we are a remnant, the the church, those who are genuine believers in Jesus Christ, that we are here, but we are surrounded. We live in the middle of a pagan land. And what God says is that this is my church, Jesus said, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So we are the remnant for this time. Now, my generation will pass on, and it's absolutely critical that we, me and us, you as parents, pass on me to to my grandchildren, you to your children, to the next generations that are coming, because God will always have a remnant. The church will always be here. One day Jesus will come back and take the church home. But in the interim, the church age, the last days, he has us here to be that voice. John the Baptist will be the voice crying in the wilderness. We are the voice. We're going to look at that in a few weeks. It's a beautiful picture. 
Why are we here? To say to the world that there's one God. There's one mediator between God and men. The man Christ Jesus. And the primary way for us to do that as believers is to be men and women of the word of God and of integrity as Christians in our personal relationships. So he's dealing with, with them in these verses 10 through 16, their social ills, marrying pagans, divorcing their wives, their Jewish wives to go marry the pagans, compromising their faith in the one true God to make their new wives happy and by adopting and bringing the pagan religion and every one of the pagans around them had their own gods. And what the Jewish men were doing was divorcing their wives, marrying pagan women, and adopting their idolatrous ways and their gods to make those women happy. And God said, after all I've done for you, why would you respond in that way? I am God. There is no other. We're going to see that. So that's what he's dealing with. And they're And the point in all of this, we will see, is that God looked at them like also not just as your father, but as your husband, and you are divorcing me to adopt pagan gods. So they were no longer, despite the fact it's what God called them to be and intended for them to be, they were not men and women of integrity. They were violating their covenant vows before God as believers and in in their earthly relationships as husbands and wives, particularly the men. That it was more important to them to be married to someone else than it was to honor their vows. We're going to see that's what he's beginning to deal with here. So let's start out in in personal relationships. The first one he wants to deal with is in general, verse 10. General relationships, verse 10. Have we not all one father? Has not one God created us? Why do we deal treacherously with one another by profaning the covenant of the fathers? Notice what he says. You have one father, one creator, one covenant. And the idea is we're all of this one family. We have one father. We have one standard. There's only one God, one creator. There's not a, you don't get to decide for yourself who that is. There's only one. And then he says there's one covenant. Now, we realize there are a lot of covenants that are dealt with in the Bible. But the most significant one is the Abrahamic covenant, and that's what he's referring to here. There's the Mosaic covenant, which was the law. There's the the covenant he made with Adam. There's a covenant he made with David. There's There's covenants throughout. And then you get to the New Testament, and what we celebrate in the Lord's Supper is the New Covenant. But all of it, flows from the Abrahamic covenant where God said, I will do these things. I will call out a nation. I will, I will bless every nation through the, on the face of the earth through this one nation because through you, and he was talking to Abraham, I'll give you a seed. And then Galatians tells us that seed, singular, was Jesus Christ. See, Jesus is unique because he is the Christ, the anointed one, the Messiah, And what God is saying here, in your personal relationships, I've called you. The book begins by God saying, I called Jacob, not Esau. I called you out, Israel, for one reason. I could have called someone else, but I called you. To through you, I'm going to bring the Messiah. I called you 
to go into the world and to say to all of these people, there is one God. Because all the way back, you can take it all the way back to the Garden of Eden. But when God told Moses what his name was, he said what? I am. Because Pharaoh and the Egyptians had all kinds of gods. Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians, where they they had come from, uh, Nebuchadnezzar and and Darius and, and Belshazzar, all these different kings. And whether it was the Medes or the Persians, the Babylonians, the Egyptians, they all had innumerable number of gods. And you go back and study history. Beyond that, you get the Greeks and the Romans and the Phoenicians. Pick a culture. Mythology is absolutely fascinating when you read it because it's man trying to figure out things he could not understand. And how did he do it? By creating a what? A god. Zeus, Hermes, Ares, pick Apollos, on and on. They, they created a God to try to explain things they couldn't explain. And what God was saying to Israel, I called you to show them, like I did Pharaoh, that I'm the only one that's God. All the rest of this is man's creation to try to explain and deal with life. The same thing's still going on today. We just don't call them idols. So what God was saying is, understand, you've corrupted this. And in your personal relationships, people need to understand who I am. It's one father, one creator, one covenant. Only the one who came, the seed who came from Abraham, he and he alone, and his name is Jesus the Christ, the Messiah, he and he alone can redeem people. He and he alone can give people peace. He and he alone can give people hope. He and he alone can make life meaningful. And I have called you, he says to Israel, now he would say to us, church, ecclesia, means the called out ones. He would say to us, I've called you, I've saved you, and I've sent you out into the world, in our particular case, in the little corner called Memphis, Tennessee, and for even some of you that travel wherever God sends you. And now with the internet, you, you can talk to people all over the world all the time. Wherever God sends you, why does he send you? To say to everyone you interact with, there's one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, in personal relationships. That's why it is absolutely vital, that's what we're looking at in Malachi 2, is that you honor your vows, that you be a person of integrity. You know, years ago, if a man gave you his word, what did that mean? It was his bond. It was his word. He meant it. You could shake hands with somebody, they looked you in the eye and said, it's a deal, and you could believe it. It's not always the case anymore, is it? Even in amongst believers, years ago, and I won't mention the name of it because I think it may still be around, there was this, uh, like a phone book thing out, and it was supposed to be all Christian business that you could deal with. And you, so if you called a, a phone number in this book, you su- supposedly, ostensibly, you would get a Christian company to deal with. 
And so churches would put them out and you would pick one up like if you needed a contractor, you needed a plumber. He's in this thing, you call him and he's a Christian. You can do what? You can trust him. Well, we had those out in our church for a while until we started getting phone calls like, hey, I called that guy. I got that book out of your lobby and and I called that guy and he came to my house and and he supposedly did this and he didn't fix it and I already paid him and now I can't get him on the phone. What are you going to do about it? You know what I did? I said, gather all those up and let's all go to the dumpster and have a party. We're not putting those out anymore. Because no, how do you, you have to check every single one of them out and know. Now, I can give you, we've said this before, I don't want, I can give you Rhett Butler's business card or Chad Stewart's business card. I know them. I know I can trust them. I can give you Dale McLean's. And, if, and, I, and I know that if they tell you they're going to do something, what do I know? If, I, if John, John Evers and I know. And John comes to me and says, John's going to put this thing in your house. You'll never have to worry about having a storm again. You're set. I know I can trust him. Because I know him. I know he's a man of integrity, just like they are. And uh, many of you. But I don't know everybody, do I? What I do know is that when people deal with me, when people deal with you, they need to know that your word means something. That as a Christian, when you say to them, I'll do that, what do they know? Short of something else stopping you, from, you'll do it. That it's not about your word. You're a person of integrity because they, you want them to know your God means something to you. It's not just a title you throw around. It's important to you in your general relationship. I want you to notice something in verse 10, very interesting phrase. Has not one God created us? Why do we, plural, general relationships, why do we deal treacherously with one another by profaning the covenant of the fathers? Why do we deal treacherously with one another? That phrase is used five times over the next few verses. It's in verse 11, it's in verse 14, it's in verse 16, it's in verse 15, it's in verse 11. Deal treacherously. And here's what it means. And five times he uses it over the next few verses. It means to pillage something, to go in and just absolutely pillage and destroy something that should be very precious to you. And notice what he says in verse 10. You're dealing treacherously. Judah has, verse, excuse me, verse 10. Why do we deal treacherously with one another? By profaning the covenant of the fathers. Verse 11. Judah has dealt treacherously. An abomination has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. Drop down to verse 14, right in the middle. With whom you have dealt treacherously. She is your companion and your wife by covenant. Verse 15. Let none deal treacherously with the wife of his youth. Verse 16. Take heed to your spirit that you do not deal treacherously. Now back to verse 10. To pillage something that should be protected as very precious to you. The word in Hebrew is very close, very akin to the word covenant. The title of your message is honor your vows. Vow is the same word as covenant in the Bible. And it means a solemn, binding promise. Two men would enter into covenant. Jonathan and David are a prime example in the Old Testament. But two men would enter covenant, and the way they would do it is they would cut pieces of flesh, put them in a a row side by side, and they would walk down the aisle together. After you get married, what do you do? You walk down an aisle 
side by side because you've exchanged what? Marriage vows. You've made a solemn promise to the person standing next to you before God and these witnesses. I will be here for you. I will do this. I will do this till what? Death parts us. It's a solemn binding promise. Now, right now, we're, we're going to deal with that next week. Right now, we're dealing with general relationships. He's saying, when you make a solemn promise to someone, keep it. And the word means, the, the idea of covenant was, Randy makes a promise to John. John makes a promise to Randy. We enter into this binding relationship covenant. John decides he's not going to live up to his end of the bargain. And he walks out on the covenant. It sets me free. And what God is saying to them, you're going to see as we walk through these verses, that's what they had done. Notice verse 10. You've dealt treacherously by profaning the covenant. God in the Abrahamic covenant said, I'm going to do all of this. Their response has been to walk away. We don't want anything to do with you, God. And here's what he says to them. Here's the beauty of your God, your father, your creator, and that great covenant. He says, I'm going to show you grace. I'm going to show you love. How did the book begin? I've loved you. I'm going to show you mercy even though you don't respond. When we share the gospel with people, what do we say to them? God loves you, right? Jesus died for you. Why? Because you're good looking? No. Because you got a lot of money? No. Because you responded? No. He died for you. Why? Because you exist. He loves you. He loves you. Romans 5, 8 says, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we were helpless, while we were ungodly, while we were in rebellion, all that in Romans 5, he died for us. So he says to us, by extension and application, in your relationships, you want to communicate to people that you're a person, a man, a woman of integrity. And why are you that? Because God has changed your life. Because Jesus Christ is real to you. It's not a game. He's who he said he was. You've placed your faith in him. He has redeemed you. You are a child of God. And you want them to know you love them. You care about them. Look at verse 11. Judah has dealt treacherously. There's the phrase again. An abomination has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. For Judah has profaned the Lord's holy, holy institution which he loves. He has married the daughter of of a foreign God. Yet God was still faithful to them. The second thing you notice in verses 11 and 12, we're going to hit just briefly today, we're going to get into it in detail next week. He says, beyond your general relationships, you're not honoring your vows, but secondly, in marriage to unbelievers. In marriage to unbelievers. Verse 11, he's committed an abomination. He's married the daughter of a foreign god. Judah Judah has dealt treacherously, profaned the Lord's holy institution which he loves. He's married the daughter of a foreign god. Look at verse 12. May the Lord cut off from the tents of Jacob the man who does this thing, being awake and aware, yet who brings an offering to the Lord of hosts. I'm going to spend some time on that next week because I want to end the day by looking at just this point. We're going to see next week, God says, we're going to quote that famous verse where God, the Bible says, God 
hates divorce. Now hang with me. Please look up here. If you think this is just about divorce, you totally missed the book of Malachi. We're going to talk about divorce, but that's not what he's talking. You know what he's saying here? Notice the end of verse 12. The man who does this being awake and aware, he brings an offering to the Lord of hosts. Here's what's going on. The men were profaning the covenant. God had said, I want you to marry another believer. I was expecting a believer to marry a believer. Yes. But here's what they were doing. They were going as believers and marrying pagan unbelievers. You see the phrase at the end of verse 12, fully awake and aware. Do you see that? It's two things in Hebrew. One is you're doing it aware, you know it's wrong, and you're doing it, and you're also teaching it to others. Do you see that? Particularly to the men, he's saying, by you going out and marrying pagan women, bringing them in to your families, adopting their pagan religion, what are your children saying? You've turned your back on me. Fully awake and aware. You're doing it, doing it, but you're also teaching it to your children and to others. And what, and the hardest part about this, God says, you look at my covenant and you're pillaging it. You're just ravaging it. It should be precious to you. And you're saying, all I really care about is my own personal self-interest. He said, I need you to be a person of integrity. And I know this is hard. Here's why this is so important. It's what God's wanting them to understand, what he wants us to understand. There is nothing more important than your relationship to God. And in your general relationships, people know that. So if you say that you're a believer and a follower of the one true God, and yet you go marry pagans after I've told you not to, what does that say? It says to the pagans, apparently your God's not very important to you. And what does it say to the rest of the Israelites? It says that your vow's not important to you. What does it say to your children? It doesn't matter who you marry. That's why God says he hates divorce. Now, the other point, which we'll deal with next week, is that the institution of marriage was very important to God. It's the very first institution he created. He created Adam and Eve. What's the first thing he told them to do? Be fruitful and multiply. One man, one woman. But the the big pick, please don't miss and get sidetracked by that. The number one thing God's wanting them to understand is by you doing that, you are having a horrible testimony to your world about your commitment to your God. Honor your vows, both to me and to your wife. God himself in the law, we'll deal with this next week, God himself in the law gave them parameters under which they could divorce. It wasn't his ideal, but it happened. Please don't walk away from here thinking if you have been divorced or you're, uh, all of us are touched by it one way or the other. 
Does it say God hates a person who's been divorced? No. That's not even what this is about. That's why I said you missed the point. It's about you, divorced, not divorced, whoever you might be, wherever you are, wanting to go out in the world and get a positive, integrity, picture of who God is in your personal life and in every relationship you enter, that you honor your vows. Would you bow your heads, please? Lord, we thank you for the privilege of being your children. We thank you, Father, that you are God. There is no other. When you call us, when you save us, it is a privilege that you send us out individually and as the church to go into our world and to show that world how many gods there are, that there's only one, that he's real, that it's you. So, Father, I pray we would understand when when we violate our vows to you, we hurt you. We hurt your testimony. I pray, Father, beginning with Randy Lockley, that I would be a person of integrity, that people who dealt with me agree or disagree with my views would know that I'm honest, that I'm real, and that my God is important to me. I pray that for all of us. And even as we close out today, Father, that's what we would think about is... Is it important to me that people know who my God is? Is it important to me that I honor my God? Is it important to me that people see that my God means something to me? That it's not just an option, a choice. It's my life. And then we would go out and live that way. And Father, if there's one person here who's not a believer, that this might be their moment where they say, God, thank you. You love me so much. You sent Jesus to die for me. Forgive me. Save me. So, Lord, we commit this time to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand as we sing, and I'll be down front if you'd like me to.